0: Well, good morning. My name is Zach. I'm part of the preaching and teaching team here at Encounter, and I have the pleasure of sharing God's Word with you guys this morning. Uh, You may have seen me around maybe making a few lattes from time to time, or you may know me as Canada Zach, to tell me apart from our gifted worship leader, Zach. Or you might be a part of what I like to call the Six Foot and Above Club here at Encounter and across all church auditoriums. For those of you who aren't a part of this club, it's made up of vertically gifted individuals who come into church on a Sunday morning, and before we start worship, as we're standing and preparing ourselves, we look above all of your heads and we give each other the good morning nod. So good morning to all of you. Well, today I'm going to be continuing the Unstoppable series. Pastor Dirk has been talking about how we, the church, are a church filled with liars and hypocrites and sinners and addicts. And yet it is this body of believers who God uses to bring heaven to earth. And today I'm going to be talking about how our stories and the stories of a couple individuals in our biblical text also join us on that journey. But before we hop to that story, before we get right into it, I want to tell you a bit of a story of my own. So I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian family, I had Christian parents, I went to Christian schools, I shopped at Christian stores, I worked for Christian employers, I had a Christian dog, and my life was surrounded by Christianity day in and day out. And in some ways, that was an incredible, incredible blessing, because what that meant was that there's people who loved me and who loved the Lord and wanted me to do likewise. But in some ways, it was a bit of a curse because I knew every single day of my life the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. I knew that I was supposed to love my neighbors as myself, which is a bit easier for my Canadian brothers and sisters out there. But I also knew that I, was supposed, I wasn't supposed to do anything wrong. I wasn't supposed to sin, lie, steal, or cheat. And so every day of my life, I knew if I was to be a good Christian, that meant I was supposed to follow these rules and not break these rules. And because of that, my faith became a checklist. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. You know, pray before breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Pray before you go to bed. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, okay, check that off. And I knew because of that, that I could become a good Christian by everybody's standards if I was following these rules and regulations. When in reality, I didn't really have a relationship with Jesus at all. And so today, as we enter into our stories, we enter into my story, we realize that all of us as Christians are here, and sometimes we see our faith as a bit of a list of requirements. And yet, my story, however dry I was in my spirituality, however far I was from a relationship with God, is still a testimony of God's active, unstoppable power in my life. And you know, some of you guys probably feel the same way. Many of you being from Grand Rapids or elsewhere probably grew up in a Christian church. If you didn't grow up in a church, you probably live next to a church in Grand Rapids. And then if you didn't grow up next to a church, you probably went to that church that you live next to. So Christianity is a huge bubble here, just as it was in my life. And because of that, we sometimes get a little bit lost. We get a little bit stuck on the requirements. You know, maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you've been a Christian your whole life and you totally understand that. Maybe you're here this morning, and you you grew up in the church, but not really, and now you have a family of your own, and you wanna bring them up in faithfulness to the Lord. Or maybe you're here this morning, and this is your first time, and we are so happy that you are here with us. But you're starting to understand the Christian's capacity to turn their faith into a checklist. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you feel like you're on the end of your rope with this whole faith thing. It's been one mountain and valley after another, and you are just sick, and tired of it all. Well, I have good news for all of you this morning is that you are not alone. And I have even better news is that your story, regardless of if you realize it or not, is a testimony of God's unstoppable power. And so today, as we journey through our text, we're going to be entering into two stories of other individuals who are on their story and journey of being good Christian followers. One's a Jewish follower, one's a Christian follower. The first of which is a man by the name of Saul. You may have heard of him. Saul was a Jew. And he wasn't just any Jew, Saul was a Pharisee. And the role of the Pharisees was to maintain the Jewish law, to maintain and make sure that they are following every single one, every single day of their lives. And so Saul was all about following the law. And even more than that, he wasn't only a master of the faith checklist he was a chief Pharisee, which meant that he oversaw the Pharisees who were following the law. So this guy was the strictest of the strict when it came to the law. You may have seen this law before. It's in the first five books of the Bible. It's the book of Leviticus and Numbers. You guys all read those incessantly, I'm sure. But those are the books in which these these crazy laws are just, just filled with it. And Saul lived to follow and maintain these laws. I know what you guys are thinking, dream job. So Saul, as he begins, as we enter into our text today, we have Saul. He's a chief Pharisee. He's all about the law. And because of that, he wants to maintain the purity of the Jewish way of life. Being a chief Pharisee, his role is to maintain that Judaism stays pure. And in the world that Saul was in during that day, there were a lot of warring cultures and languages and ways of life. The Greek way of life or the Roman way of life. Or, as we've been talking about, this different way of life called the way, or the early Christian church, led by this guy named Jesus who died on a cross and apparently rose again and and is leading thousands of people to follow him a day. We talked about that last week. And today, Saul is boiling in holy rage against these Christians because they're corrupting his Jewish law. This Jesus guy is throwing everything off and he has to put a stop to it. And so as we enter into today's text, picture Saul with this holy rage against Christians, and he's persecuting them, he's imprisoning them in Jerusalem, and he's trying to put a stop to all of it. So if you've opened your Bibles with me, hop on your phones with me, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. If you do not have a Bible, there's some on the seats in front of you, take that home with you, we love to give that away. So let's enter into the text, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. They read, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So we find Saul boiling in holy rage against these Christians. He believes it is his call from God to imprison all the Christians in Jerusalem But because he started that persecution, many of them fled to a place called Damascus to get away. And now we find Saul in this text today saying to himself, I'm gonna go to Damascus and I'm gonna find these fleeing Christians and I'm gonna persecute them and put them back in jail in Jerusalem. Now the thing about Damascus was is it wasn't next door to Jerusalem. Damascus was 130 miles, 290.125 kilometers northeast of Jerusalem about from here to Detroit. And Saul didn't take a car on a highway to get there. Saul walked or maybe rode a donkey. It was an eight to 10 day journey. Did I tell you this guy was convinced and convicted that this was his call from God to persecute these Christians? I kind of picture Saul a little bit like, like Liam Neeson in Taken, one, two, or three. They're all incredible movies. And I picture him just focusing and zoning in and I am going to let nothing get in my way. I'm going to persecute these Christians. So here's where we find Saul, trudging all the way to Damascus, and on about day 8, verse 3 and 4 happen. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so Saul on this road to Damascus is met by a voice and a light. And something extraordinarily divine is happening here. If you look at other places in the Bible in which God calls into the lives of individuals, you look at these times where you hear their voice called out twice. People like Abraham and Jacob in the book of Genesis or Moses in the book of Exodus, God is stepping into Saul's life and calling him out. And the reason why I say this is because of the following verses. Saul responds to this light of heaven and he says, who are you? Are you the Lord? Saul is completely stunned. He's completely stunned by this force, by this light, and yet his response is not one of fear and trembling because there's a thunderstorm coming because there are loud lights and, and voices. He doesn't run away in fear. He calls out and he asks if it's the Lord. And I believe that Saul on this road to Damascus is not experiencing some impersonal, objective, overpowering force of heaven he's experiencing the personal, subjective, empowering embrace of Jesus. Christ sees him trudging on this road and knows that what he is doing is not what he's called to do. And so he steps in his way and he embraces Saul. And I believe that Saul is having an experience knowing that something, in fact, someone is there. And so he asks, are you the Lord? Are you Jesus? And verse six says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So as I said, Saul is stunned, clearly. There's a heavenly light, a voice from heaven. He's on his knees on the road, probably his eyes. He's blinded, he can't see. But I think he's also stunned for two reasons. The first of which is that Jesus is talking to him. So if you're following with me a little bit earlier, he didn't really believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He really didn't like this Jesus guy because he was claiming to rewrite their laws and forgive sins and build the temple and tear it down in three days. Saul hated Jesus, thought he was a heretical man, not the Son of God. And now on this road to Damascus, Jesus is speaking to him from a heavenly voice and a heavenly light. And the second reason why I think this is startling for Saul is that Jesus is saying that he's not actually doing God's work at all. He's not actually persecuting these evil Christians who are corrupting the Jewish way of life. He's persecuting God himself. He's persecuting God himself. And I think that we get this, don't we? I'm not saying that we understand how we could persecute an entire people group. I'm saying that I can understand how we allow our faith to inform everything we do, all the decisions we make, and the journeys that we decide to take in life. Faith informs how we think, it informs how we act, it informs our political allegiances, it informs where we go to school, where we send our kids to school, what church we go to, what jobs we take, what we do with our money. Faith informs our everyday life. And I'm saying that we can understand Saul's perspective here because we also allow for our faith to sometimes merge with our opinions. We sometimes use our faith as a weapon to persecute people that we don't agree with, to fight against people who maybe have a different opinion than we do, to stand for something when we don't even know if it's really God who we're standing for. Think of the pain that the church has caused in the hearts and minds of the LGBTQ plus community. Think of the pain that the church has caused in the hearts and minds of those who have been divorced, maybe more than once. Think of the pain that the church has caused in the hearts and minds of those who are struggling with mental illness or those who come into church with anger and rage toward God because they feel like they're dealing with injustice. Think of the pain that the church has caused when dealing with those who maybe had an abortion or who are struggling with sexual addiction. Now, I'm not trying to make us uncomfortable here this morning, friends. I'm trying to point out that Saul is on a journey and it's somewhat marked by sin. His life is surrounded by doing what he believed God has called him to do, when in reality, it has nothing to do with the redemptive power of Jesus. And his story, although a story that is abominable, God uses to be a part of his unstoppable church. Our stories are also very much marked by sinful decisions and opinions and places in our life where we have said things and done things in the name of God without actually searching for him in it. And so with that in mind, we recognize that even though we are sinners, we are still part of this Unstoppable Church. Let's keep that in mind as we continue verses 7 to 9. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard a sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Now, Saul is this guy who we know is full of biblical wisdom. He is righteous. The world gives him, he has a priestly office. He's respected. He's driven. And he's setting out what he believes God has called him to do. His life revolves around it. His journey is one step in that direction. And yet, when he meets God, when he meets the redemptive relational power of Jesus in an embrace on that road everything changes. He's blinded, he's brought to his knees, and he becomes once again like a child, unable to care for himself. His entire faith checklist that he could check five times over no longer matters because he has been embraced by the love of Jesus on that road. And now he's being led blindly to to Damascus, by hand by the rest of his men. And let's keep that in mind as we continue on. So Saul is on the road to Damascus, blinded after experiencing the relational power of Jesus. And the verse continues, but now we jump to Damascus to hear someone else's story. Now in Damascus, there was a man named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sights. Ananias is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. This man is not to be confused with the Ananias of verse 5 in Acts, where um, he deceives the, the, the community of disciples and, is, and dies. This Ananias is not a, a radical disciple. This Ananias is not a priest. He does not hold a priestly office. This Ananias is a daily faithful follower of Jesus. This Ananias is the kind of guy who attends the first service and then serves at the next one. This Ananias is the kind of guy who who prays every day with his family. This Ananias is the kind of guy who volunteers and serves and goes to small groups. And he's been doing this his entire life. This Ananias has been living faithfully, waiting for the unstoppable power of God to be present in his life. And I think we get that. I think we're a lot like Ananias too, aren't we? We come to church every Sunday and sometimes we're just not feeling it. Sometimes we're just not in the, the headspace to get emotional and to sing with all of our hearts and minds. But we continue to serve and we continue to lay down our lives and hope that we are doing something right. Now let's hear Ananias' response to the Lord's call in verse 13 and 14. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias' response here is like, God, just so you know, this is the guy who's imprisoning all the Christians and I'm a Christian, so if you want me to go down there, I'm just gonna go to jail. So I trust you, but I don't really trust you. Ananias' response to the unstoppable power of God is one of hesitation, one of doubt. One of taking a step back and deciding, maybe this isn't what's for me. You know, imagine imagine a a Jewish man or woman during World War II being called to go tend to a German officer. It's fearful, it's overwhelming, but it is what God is calling Ananias, his faithful follower to do, to leave his checklist of faith behind and to step out into the unstoppable power and radical obedience to God. Verses 15 15 to 17 say, But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Ananias in faithful obedience, despite his fear, despite the life that he had lived before of faithful obedience, steps out and steps into the unstoppable power of God that brings heaven to earth. And in these next few verses, I actually believe that Ananias becomes the unstoppable church to Saul. He acts as the unstoppable church to Saul because he steps out of his own personal journey of daily faithfulness and steps into a messy journey of pain and suffering of a man who's the number one enemy of the church, walks alongside him, bears his burdens, and steps into his story. Let's read on. Ananias experiences the unstoppable power of God, of heaven coming to earth in this healing hands. But I also believe that Ananias is the unstoppable church to Saul because he surrenders himself. He walks alongside an enemy in love. He hears his story and he bears his burdens. Saul goes from being an enemy to being a brother. And that is the active power of the unstoppable power of the church at work. Ananias was a faithful follower of God. And even though he did not immediately recognize it, his story was a testimony of God's unstoppable power. And so now we're probably at the part of the sermon where you guys are either thinking about lunch or you're wondering what this unstoppable power really is. We can talk about this unstoppable power all we want, but how do we experience it? How do we see it? Where is it at work? We've been talking about it now for three Sundays. I'm gonna give you a glimpse into a way in which I believe the unstoppable power of God is at work. The unstoppable power of God is the church. You are the unstoppable power of God. The person sitting next to you is the unstoppable power of God. It's not the four walls of this building that are the unstoppable power. It's the person next to you and their story of God's faithfulness. Their story of pain, their story of suffering, their story of painful experiences and God's faithfulness. Saul was not journeying on that road to Damascus one day and he didn't experience the four walls of the church. Saul experiences the redemptive relational power of Jesus Christ. And friends, wherever you are this morning as you're sitting in these chairs, whether you feel like you're on a spiritual high or you feel like you've never felt farther from God, Know that your story is a story of God's active faithfulness. Because your story begins and ends in victory. Because it begins and ends with Jesus. Your story begins and ends in victory. Because it begins and ends with Jesus. And the only reason why I can say that this morning is because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You've heard it a million times, but it never gets old because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It was nothing that you did. It's nothing that you will ever do. But Jesus Christ, the unstoppable, perfect son of God, came to earth and became totally stoppable for your sin. You can never be too addicted. You can never be too hypocritical. You can never be too sinful. You can never be too broken for the story and power of Jesus to come into your life and turn your direction. And the person next to you, The same is true about them. So the unstoppable power of God is God at work in and through our stories as a community of believers. So how can we do this? How can we experience this unstoppable God through our stories? Because a lot of us here this morning do not feel unstoppable. In fact, we can probably think of the times on one hand where we felt like we were unstoppable in our faith. Well, I have news for you guys. You are totally stoppable. It's actually Christ in you that's unstoppable. And as a community of believers with Christ in us, forgiven and freed and covered by grace, we are unstoppable. So how can we become a community that realizes that? How can we become a community that interacts with that and lives that truth out? I have one suggestion. Tell your story. your story. I understand a lot of us have stories of pain. A lot of us have stories of suffering. A lot of us might be in the midst of one of those stories today. But God, as with Saul, does not just look at those glorious moments of goodness in our stories. He looks at Saul's entire story from start to finish, puts it all in the Bible, talks about his evil persecution and his sinfulness and the things that he was doing. But that is all part of God's holy book. Each and every one of us, each and every one of our stories of brokenness and joy of goodness and wrong is a part of God's unstoppable church. God did not send Jesus so that we could show up on church on Sunday morning with a smile on our face and say everything is great when inside we are tormented by what's going on. Jesus did not come so that we could leave our garbage in the back seats of our car instead of bringing it in with us on a Sunday morning and allow the spirit of God and the body of believers to engage our brokenness together. Share your story. Now, it might be in a small group. You may be able to share your story with someone sitting next to you after the service. You may be able to share your story in a close friend or someone who's really near and dear to you. But I promise you that when you, we begin to share our stories and interact with the ways in which God has been present and also not always felt present in our lives, the power of heaven comes to earth. The power of heaven comes to earth. Because the light shines brightest in the darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it. So as we come into church, be okay with being in the darkness. Share that darkness. Because it's when we share and participate, we become the unstoppable church and we allow heaven to invade our darkness and our brokenness and our shame. Share your story. As we come to a close this morning... I want to read verse 20 in which it states, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. Saul experiences the relational redemptive love of Jesus, not only in a flash of light, but in a burden bearing brother, Ananias. Saul experiences the relational redemptive power of Jesus through someone who walks alongside him in his brokenness, who knows his entire story of sin and shame and yet enters into that with him. Saul is completely changed and the church is also completely changed because Saul is actually, changes his name in the New Testament and becomes Paul. And Paul is one of the greatest missionaries of all time. He's written so many little letters in your New Testament. Paul is a man who allowed for his brokenness to be evident. And God used that open, storytelling, redemptive power and made him into someone who changed the face of the church forever. Could you imagine what this church would look like if we did the same? Can you imagine what the church around the world would look like if we did the same. If people could come in here feeling however they felt and felt completely confident in sharing that because they know that their story begins and ends in victory because it begins and ends with Jesus. Just a few short verses, Saul goes from traveling on a road to Damascus to persecute and imprison Christians. And instead, through experiencing this redemptive power of Jesus, he ends up in Damascus, but he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the power of the unstoppable church. This is the power of God's unstoppable spirit. This is the power that we have today as a body of believers. Because this church is filled with sinners and addicts and hypocrites and liars, and yet it is those stories of hypocrisy and addiction and lies that God uses to make up his beautiful, powerful, unstoppable church. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before you today. We come before you and we are eternally grateful that you made yourself entirely stoppable for our sins. Lord, we come before you on all different roads to different destinations. We come before you, some of us liars and addicts, others of us hypocrites and sinners. And yet, God, you sent your son for those exact reasons. So as we go from this place, Open our hearts, open our minds. Help us to be more like you.